Thanks, David. Um, let me pray for us again. Father, please would you help us um, in these next few minutes. Lord, please would you help us to listen to what you have to say to us in your word. And Lord, would you help us and change us by it. Amen. Um, last weekend was the uh, British Indoor Athletics Championships in Birmingham. Um, they doubled up as the European Trials. Uh, so in lots of different indoor athletic events, there were people trying to qualify to compete for Great Britain in Turkey next week. Um, in each event, there's two ways to qualify. Um, the first is hitting the entry standard that the governing body have hit, uh, have set. That might be uh, distance if it's a throwing event or a jumping event, or it might be a time if it's a running event. Um, and the second way is to be in the top couple of athletes in Europe, so you get an invitation. Um, do either of those things, and you get an invitation from European Athletics, and then last weekend at the trials, if you come in the top two or three, British Athletics then accept that invitation. That's how it works. It's a little bit complicated. Um, anyway, last weekend, in the high jump, there was no one in Britain that was ranked high enough to have an invitation already. And there was nobody in England, or the UK, sorry, uh, that had jumped high enough to meet the standard. So as it was, coming into the championships, there was no one eligible. So it was a big day. Now, just have a guess the height of the high jump qualification just to go and compete uh, at the European Championships. Someone just shout out, have a guess. Two metres. Two metres. Let's have a look at just how high two metres is. This is going to be two metres. That's about two metres as a qualification mark. Um, the qualification standard was, in fact... Two metres thirty. So in order to just be invited to go and compete at the European Championships, you have to have jumped that height. So going into the weekend, last weekend, that is the height that you'd have had to have jumped to uh, get that invitation to go to the European Championships. Pretty high, isn't it? Um, last Sunday, uh, first event on the cards, and the winning height for the high jump was 2.16. Something like that. 2.16. So, if you've got the process... Hopefully you'll realise, sadly, nobody is going. Nobody is going to represent Great Britain at the European indoors because nobody has made the standard. Nobody was ranked high enough. Nobody has made the standard. It's ridiculously high and no one has got close. And that's something of a picture of where we join Romans this week. Um, we have seen already in the story so far, no one has made God's perfect standard. No one is righteous. And it's pretty hard-hitting as we've looked at these first few chapters because it leaves every one of us answerable to God. We deserve God's right anger. 
But, and here is the moment we have been waiting for. But, now we get some good news. Have a look down. First we see, righteousness is given, not earned. In verse 21 to 23. Righteousness is given, not earned. Because righteousness has been made known apart from the law. Have a look down at verse 21. The first words, the words we've been waiting for all these weeks. But now. But now, unlike what we've read in the first few chapters in Romans, righteousness has been made known. But now, there is a solution to the problem that not one of us meets God's perfect standard. The solution has been made known. Well, what is the solution? This righteousness is given through faith in Christ. Have a look down at verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The technical term is that our righteousness is imputed. It's alien to us. We could never make it ourselves. It's given to us. We could never hit that standard. We're incapable of making the mark. We've consistently failed. So it's got to come from somewhere else. And so it is given. And there's no way we could earn it. Look at the end of verse 21. The law and the prophets spoke of this solution. It's what it says when it says to which the law and prophets testify. The, the Old Testament was always speaking of an ultimate solution. The Jews should have been expecting this but now for some time. It has been made known. We've seen so clearly in the last six weeks, haven't we? So clearly and repeatedly. We cannot earn a right standing before God. In and of ourselves we can produce no evidence that we can get anywhere close to God's perfect standard. The problem is universal. Look at verse 22 and 23. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a bit like that 2 metre 30 mark that no one hits. And it's always been the case. We've been unable to hit God's perfect standard throughout history. We'll see that very clearly when we look at Abraham in two weeks. Righteousness is given and not earned. And that means that in every way in the last six weeks you've been challenged that you're not good enough for God's perfect standard. Don't, don't lose that now. Don't just brush that away and, and look for the good news. But let it cause you to receive this free gift with open arms. Look, maybe in the last six weeks you felt like a failure when you felt like you can't measure up, when you felt like you've messed up, when you felt like a disappointment, when you do feel like that. Don't now do anything to try and fix yourself up, to build a way back to impress God, because the reality is you can't. Instead, come to God ready to receive 
his free gift that we could never earn. But see, the reality is it's so deeply ingrained in all of us, isn't it? Our desire to work our way back. But our righteousness is given and not earned. Don't, don't now think that you can contribute anything to a right standing before God by turning a corner today, waking up early for the next few weeks to read your Bible every morning, give money to the church, pray more, signing up to the new rota. Those things, they don't contribute anything toward our right standing before God. Because righteousness is given and not earned. It must be. Because all we are capable of in and of ourselves is falling short. Second, we see a person is presented righteous by trusting Jesus. See, in God's grace, he presents people righteous. Look at verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace. Justification, maybe a complex Bible word that you've read many times. Maybe you know a little rhyme or something to remember it. Justification is the act of providing a reason or explanation to support a belief or action. It's used to defend or validate a decision or position, often through the use of evidence or a logical argument. That's a dictionary definition. Look, have you ever had a builder do work on your house? You know a builder comes and they say, oh, it's going to cost a lot. And they look at this and they look at that and they give you a figure and you go, really? Is it like, really? And then what they do is they justify. They justify the figure that they've given you. Because they prove it to be the right figure. They give a defence for that figure. They say it has to cost this much. Because this is a specialist tool that needs using. It's going to take this long. And then we need this person to sign it off. But God justifies us. Remember the high jump? All of us, all of us who have categorically missed the perfect standard, God justifies us. The only way anyone can be justified, presented right before God, is a free gift. God's providing a defence for our right position because he is perfectly and consistently good. His standards can't just drop. He can't just say, oh, come on in. And yet, he still has a defence for us. Look at the second half of that sentence, verse 24. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption is available to us in Jesus. The picture of Romans 1 and a people who have got it wrong. The words last week together have become worthless. The, the reality that 
we, in our human nature, have got things wrong, well, God redeems. He brings back. In every way that our sin has caused, caused us to fall short of God's glorious standard. In every way that our rebellion created a relationship breakdown between us and God. In every way that our thinking had become futile. In every way our heart darkened. In every way that we exchanged God's truth for a lie. In every way that we have disqualified ourselves from God's perfect standard. We can be brought back. We can be redeemed. So that we are declared righteous. How? Well, a person can be presented righteous because Jesus' sacrifice atones for our sin. It's us in the dock. Do you remember as we talked about the last few weeks? Our temptation so quickly is to put God in the dock. I was sat in a hotel lobby uh, the day before yesterday and uh, sat speaking to a gentleman and he turned to me, once he realised I was a Christian, he uh, said, well, he um, changed his tone slightly to become slightly more aggressive in manner and he said, look, I would be quite sympathetic toward faith. I've met a few Christians and I like them. But I watched my mum care for my dad with motor neurone disease for 13 years. A month after she died, sorry, a month after he died, she had a stroke. He looked me in the eye and he said, why has God done that to good people like them? And in that horrible moment, you can imagine I was a bit taken back. I was taken back by his tone. I was taken back by his honesty. And we carried on chatting for a while afterwards. And it's desperately sad. And it's right to feel that pain. But do you see what he's done? He's put God in the dock. He's defined what good is. He said they're good people and God has caused their pain. God must be at fault. That was his line. Like God's guilty of the pain that exists in this world. And actually the picture that we see in the first few chapters in Romans is that we're in the dock. We're responsible. We stand before God. We will face him. And all the evidence has been prepared. And all we would need to be asked is two questions. <coughs> Question one. Can you show me the evidence that you have loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Question two. Can you show me the evidence that you have loved your neighbour as yourself? And the reality is that in and of ourselves we have nothing Nothing to prevent, present. So what's the solution? Verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. God presents Christ for us. 
when we could present nothing of ourselves, we could present no evidence to support any claim that we should be accepted by God, God presents Christ. The greatest defence lawyer in history pulls out the piece of evidence to totally acquit us of any wrong. And the question might be, well, if I'm in the dock and I fail to meet God's perfect standard, how is it that presenting Jesus in that moment is effective for me? And the answer? His sacrifice atones for our sin. You see, it's not not just enough for God to present Jesus Just because he's perfect, because we've not met God's perfect standard, we deserve God's right anger. But that righteous man, the Lord Jesus, had to suffer and die to satisfy God's right anger at sin. The price for sin must be paid. Atonement is the act of repair. That has to be made for sin. And Jesus' sacrifice atones for our sin. Because in one great swap, everything that is his is offered to you. And look at verse 25 and 26. That had to happen. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, in order to demonstrate his righteousness, that is to keep his morally perfect standard, to not sweep things under the rug, there must be a punishment for the sin of those who truly trust God. Verse 25, there must be a punishment for the sin of those in the past. Verse 26, there must be a punishment for the sin of those in the present. You might be familiar with the verse 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And that all, once for all, is not all sins, it's not all people, it's all time. Because if a person doesn't trust in Jesus, then the Bible is clear. The weight of sin and the punishment still rests on them. But instead it's all time. This sacrifice will never need to be made again. This sacrifice is effective for all time. The work is done. God's perfect standard is upheld. So that he could be both just and the one who justifies sinners. So that we could be redeemed, brought back. Our culture loves a redemption story, doesn't it? We watched a programme with my in-laws a couple of weeks ago while we were away called The Piano. Basically, you know you get those random pianos that are sat in public spaces. There's one outside the servicemen's club in Bifsa. I think there's quite a few in um, big railways Um, this programme, it basically invites people to come and play the piano in a public setting and hidden away are two professionals that watch and see them play the piano and of course, like any programme like that, it's all in the story 
And you get to know the characters that are sitting at the piano, and it's the story that brings alive the piece of music. There was this one guy who um, taught himself to play the piano in lockdown, so just a few years, and he was brilliant, and people flocked around and listened to him play the piano. And there was this one guy whose life had basically been destroyed by drugs and alcohol. He was part of a kind of rave culture. And he turned a corner, and the one thing that kind of gave him the buzz that he missed as he gave up drugs and alcohol was performing music. And so he'd sit down at a piano and he'd play bizarre music, like rave music, but sing along too. And it was unbelievable the skill that he was able to sit down and and use as he played the piano but of course it was all in the story it was a redemption story that he was down and out and now he was performing in front of people flocking to come and hear him we love a redemption story but actually in reality when it's not cleaned up for television sometimes a story like that is a bit jarring a redemption story. When I was 17, I had a friend who um, drove his parents' car, just like I did driving my parents' car. We had the same car. And so we were a bit of a dynamic duo at 17, driving two Renault Clios uh, around um, at sixth form. Um, I still maintain he was a worse driver than me. Uh, 17-year-old boys get a pretty bad uh, rep for driving. Um, he probably didn't help the situation. In fact, he was one time after rugby, he was driving back, racing back to Baldock through Western Hills and he wrote his car off. He went too, round, too quick round a corner and he rolled it into um, the hedge and then into the field. He was fine, he was safe, the people in the car were safe, um, but the car was binned off. And so sadly, the dynamic duo of the two Renault Clio drivers was no more. A few sad weeks went past and he was walking into sixth form until the day, I'll never forget, he rolled into the sixth form car park in a brand new spanking Saab convertible. Unbelievable. As you can imagine, I couldn't believe my eyes. There had been some serious discussions at home in his household with his parents He'd recognised his error of driving. And somehow, his parents had said, although you don't deserve it, you're going to be put on the insurance of the upgraded Saab. I could not believe it. To be fair to him, from that moment onwards, he was a very safe and cautious driver. Although he didn't deserve it, he was brought back to the road in some style. What a redemption story. But sat in the sixth form common room as the Saab rolls in, nothing in me was happy for him. Nothing. I couldn't believe it. He didn't deserve it. He rolled his car and his parents had brought him an upgrade. I could not get my head around it one bit. I was convinced I was a better driver than him. I was convinced I deserved it more than him. And part of me really... Well, part of me wanted to roll my car into the hedge to see if I might get a Saab. The other part of me probably wanted to key down the side of the Saab. I couldn't, I just couldn't accept it. And you see, the jarring truth of the gospel is that 
though every single one of us is not righteous, though every single one of us falls short of God's standard, every single one of us, without fail, can accept Jesus' atoning sacrifice to be presented righteous before him. And sometimes that really stretches us. When we see someone whose sin has been public and obvious, and you think, well, I kind of don't really want them to trust in Jesus. Or, Or someone like that comes to faith, and secretly deep down you sit next to them in church, and there's still some kind of resentment. No, 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 I deserve to be here and not you. And do you see what you're doing as you subtly think like that? You're saying that you deserve God's favour and they don't. And in effect, you're, you're beginning to reject that his sacrifice alone atones for our sin. Well, what will we do with this free gift? We receive it. We receive his sacrifice by faith. What does that mean in practice? Well, it's what we've already seen through these verses. First, to recognise the problem. In and of themselves, no one meets the standard. And so it's right to say sorry to God for our rebellion against him. It's right to admit that our righteousness is given and not earned. Making the decision to keep giving up anything that, that we think is contributing to our right standing before God. Giving up that mindset. And it means to trust that Jesus' sacrifice is effective for you. To truly believe that today and every day that you wake up, Every day for the rest of your days, the only way that you are presented right before a holy God is that Jesus truly died on the cross for you. And his sacrifice covers you. Your sin is dealt with by him. And so now have a right standing before him. And when we do those three things, when we're truly sorry, when we know we can't make it right, when we know that Jesus alone has, the natural response will be to follow him with awe-filled obedience. I just will want to spend time with him, listen to what he has to say, to give him what I have. Because he's done everything for me. This is what we do as we take communion in a minute. We actively demonstrate our trust in Jesus. And so we're going to sing in just a moment. John's going to come up. But I'm going to pray for us before we sing. Just off the back of what we've looked at this afternoon. Father, we're sorry for the things we have done. And the things that we've left undone. Sorry for the ways we failed to acknowledge you as creator and sustainer of the universe. 
we bring those things before you and confess that in and of ourselves we fall short, far short of your glorious standard. Father, we acknowledge today there is nothing we can do to contribute to our right standing before you. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus that is effective for us. Thank you that our right punishment is paid and we are declared right before you. Thank you that now we can celebrate and we remember this together. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing together before we take communion.